Welcome to the Stoke It Up podcast, everybody, a podcast encouraging you in your journey with God. I'm Alan Stoddard, and I am your host, and I'm excited to have James Walker, the president of Watchman Fellowship, on the podcast today. James, welcome. Thanks for coming on, brother. Thanks, Alan. Great to be with you. Amen. I thought about you recently and uh, just thought I would have you on as uh, uh, to, to ask you questions that I don't even know how to answer fully myself. And so I thought, okay, we're, we're shifting into a different time. So let's do this. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, you're going to want to check out watchman.org. And James and his team will actually come to your church. And I can't think of anyone who comes in more simply and yet meaningfully and does weekend conference type workshops. I don't know what we call them these days, but I know I've had James at churches a couple of times and I've been at churches where he's been and it's just amazing. Um, James, why don't you tell everybody, let's kick it off like this. Tell everybody how you came to know the Lord. Well, I was, uh, my, my whole interest in apologetics, defending the faith probably comes from my background. I was a fourth generation Mormon. So when I grew up, I, you know, I believe the Book of Mormon was the word of God and Joseph Smith was God's prophet and I was happy and everything was cool until I had some Christian friends that started asking questions, probing a little bit in a nice way. And and I started to evaluate some of the truth claims and started realizing that probably I had not been told the, the whole story on this. But then going through it, an issue or period of time where I was kind of wondering, um, okay, if if the Mormon church isn't true, if the Book of Mormon's not the Word of God, then how do I even know what about the Bible or what about even God uh, in general? And, uh, you know, out of that, I ended up having a, a much firmer faith in God and ultimately embraced the the uh, historical Christian gospel of grace that I'm I'm saved not by how good I am or what I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me. And... Um, and I worked through those issues, but looking back on it, it made me extremely interested in the whole issue of deception and sincerity and and how do we know what's true and what's not true, epistemology, how do we how do we test things? And uh, part of that process of coming out of Mormonism, I met uh, I was introduced to David, David Hinky, who's the founder of our ministry, Watchman Fellowship. And, and it was so helpful because David understood the lingo. When I would say something Mormonese, he would understand exactly what I was saying, what I was asking and have the answers. But also he had the documentation. So I had heard that the Book of Mormon had been changed, but I not had actually not seen the changes until David sat down and said, well, here's the 1830 edition of the Book of Mormon, and you can see how they changed it in the 1976 edition or what have you. So anyway, I I began to volunteer part-time for Watchmen, and then when I was a student at Criswell College in Dallas, I I ended up joining uh, Watchmen full-time, and then in the mid-90s, I became the president of the organization. Wow, that's awesome. And I, I'm sitting here as you talk that out. I remember your talk, the initial talk you do on Mormonism and you share your story in it. It's so, it is so effective. You have really thought that teaching through with the notes that you give out and we fill in the blank on it. It's so awesome. Well, we were talking as we uh, started to get on the podcast about uh, TikTokers and skeptics and atheists. I follow a few of those guys on 
social media that are really deconstructing the Bible, and they're using the Bible against Christians. And I will say it's not only what they're doing that bothers me, and that that's enough, but it's how they're doing it that is very troubling. They are really disrupting the faith of people, and Christians don't know how to give answers. I've just been listening. I want to go, guys, stop trying to give an answer that if you're not ready, just admit you're not ready and you don't have an answer. It's better to do that than try to give some Sunday school answer to a to a TikTok uh, guy. And these are usually Christian pastors who are educated and they're moving on into atheism and agnostic things. Um, they're, they're not guys that you can just subtly beat in an argument. Um, and they're not going to receive Sunday school answers. So let me let me ask the biggest question I think may not be that way, but why should someone believe the evidence for the Bible over the scriptures of, let's say, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam? And the reason why I ask that is because, because people are dismantling the Bible and they're saying you can't trust where it came from and all those kind of things. And yet they're not dismantling the other scriptures. So what 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 would what would, how would you as an apologist answer that? It's a tough question, Alan, because it kind of depends on where you're coming from. And some of the things that we might think is, well, that's the best way to go about this, really are not practical. For, for example, I wrote I wrote a book called The Concise Guide to Today's uh, Religions and Spirituality. And it's just a brief survey, but there's 1,700 religions, cults, churches, denominations, controversial doctrines, practices, spiritual leaders, all alphabetical. So you think, well, well, I'm just going to go alphabetical, start with the A's and try to figure out which one's right or something. Well, that's first of all, you need to know that's not a, that that's just in America. And it's it, it's not very thorough. It's the tip of the iceberg. And since the book came out, there's probably a thousand more out there. And while I have looked somewhat in depth at some of those religions, I have not exhausted, you know, some of the religions that we have like two paragraphs or three paragraphs, that's about the only three paragraphs I know about that particular religion. And so I have not even been able, and this is a full-time job for me, to go through and systematically work through alphabetically every religion in the world. And I don't know that that's a practical way for anyone to try to do that. One of the things that I think is helpful is to know that while there are thousands of religions, there's really only four kinds of religions. So maybe it's best to sit down and look at the types first before you look at the specifics and say, which represents truth? Which is the, uh, uh, the, the most rational and reasonable explanation for everything that we can observe and see? Would it be Atheism, that's one of the four worldviews. We could look at uh, polytheism, the the like Greek and Roman mythology, that's a category of religions. Or we could look at uh, pantheism, where God is everything and everything is God. Or we can look at theism, monotheism, the idea that there's only one true God, every other God is false, a false God. So if you can kind of get yourself in the right category, uh, if it's atheism, you don't need to look at all the religions because there is no spirituality. There is no metaphysics. There's only the physical. So you would eliminate that issue. Uh, but if it's monotheism, 
you have really narrowed down the field tremendously and that you could explore that. The three major monotheistic religions would be Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. You could add Zoroastrianism to the, the mix if you wanted to. But now it's a lot easier because you're not looking at thousands of choices. You're looking at a, a couple of dozen choices and you can drill down into those scriptures. Okay, why is the New Testament more likely to be accurate than the Quran? And, and you can talk about, you know, I uh, alleged eyewitness accounts. You can talk about something that was, you know, we have um, uh, documents, manuscripts going to within just a couple of decades, um, a couple, a century or so after the events that they described in the New Testament, where if you talk about the Quran, it's just trying to describe something that happened 600 miles away 500 years ago and so you don't have an, any kind of way of having a close uh, personal testimony or eyewitnesses that would be involved in that so yeah if you work at the worldview level and then kind of work backwards and another thing you could do is start with jesus and work backwards the most of the religions, if if um, most of the theistic religions uh, put Jesus at a high high place, Islam is very respectful of Jesus. He's one of the prophets. Uh, he is a um, uh, they even would hold that he was born of a virgin. So um, uh, uh, Judaism looks forward to the Messiah, and the claim is made that Jesus is that Messiah. So let's maybe start with the one question: Who was Jesus? And if you could answer that question, you could either eliminate a lot of religions that uh, look to Jesus and put him on a high pedestal, or you can say, hey, perhaps the answer falls into one of these religions that has a very high view of who Jesus was. All right, I like that. I like it. Now, when we um, when we think about the scriptures and uh, people are coming and dismantling it. Do you think your average Christian is equipped enough to be able to defend the scriptures? On some level, I would hope so, but but adequately prepared uh, for everything that's being thrown today in 2024. Uh, I don't think most pastors are, to be honest with you. The, the questions that are coming I up agree now, with a different that. set of questions. It's a different a different set of challenges. And, and some of it is, you know, I mean, we can be dismissive of it as, oh, well, that's on TikTok and it's, you know, it's not scholarly. And, uh, you know, it, it, but hey, when you've got uh, 50,000 followers, you know, it, it, you, you have the impact. It doesn't matter if your arguments are good, they're effective. So yeah, they, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be taken seriously. And um and some people are doing it. There's some apologists that are doing that. So uh, on our podcast, Apologetics Profile, uh, this week and next, we're uh, uh, a uh, have an interview with Alyssa Childress, who is uh, uh, written uh, who's yeah. uh, written a book, co-authored a book on deconstruction and deconstruction of Christianity. And so we're addressing that and trying to um, use her as a good apologist and talk about. How can we, as as not just in ministry, but how can the average Christian? Because Alan, as you know, these because of social media, it's not like the arguments back in our day that might be something going on with in the faculty meeting at the university, you know, or maybe the philosophy department. You know, there's a conversation about that. This is in the high schools now. 
these are kids and you could hear them at the coffee shop or something. You can tell that they're reading this stuff or they're listening to this stuff. And so it is um, because of its impact, it, it deserves uh, credible answers, I think. Do you think it's difficult for a Christian to get there and be equipped rather quickly if they'll pay attention to it? Um, yes, and I, I think, you, you you know, you, you're not going to ever be an expert on all things, you know, and so, uh, you know, we all have our little things like, you know, in, in these five areas, I feel like I'm halfway competent, you know, but if you take a step back and look at body of Christ, oh, we should have people uh, that we can count on that are credible, that are articulate, that can understand the issues of our day that sits in leaving the, the situation that we're facing in our culture and be able to address that and, and ask good questions and, and to be able to, um, to articulate one, you know, one of the things that we do uh, to try to a big, a big, um, I think, um, especially if you're in full-time ministry, uh, an occupational hazard maybe that we, that we have as, as Christians, especially in leadership, is if we're not careful, we end up having, um, we're not really talking with, with non-Christians very much because we go to, you know, our job is around Christians. We go home, we're around Christians. On the weekend, I'm in a church speaking somewhere around Christians. And if, we're, if we don't do something um, intentional, we can end up going uh, weeks or months or even longer, not 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 just not not just uh, avoiding gospel conversations. We're not having any kind of conversation with a non-believer, and so we've got to find some way that gets us uh, out of the um, and you know out of the salt set shaker and into the world a little bit. And so one of the things that we do to, to do that is we have a monthly gathering called the Atheist and Christian Book Club. I think you may have stuck your head in the door on that a time or two. Uh, and so I know uh, where, whatever I'm doing, that once a month, I'm going to have a two-hour sit-down with some very, very uh, intelligent, well-read, articulate atheist, and we're going to discuss an atheist book. And then next month, we're going to all get together and discuss a Christian book. So it it helps me to refine my thinking uh, you know, what i what i found we've been doing this for uh, going on six years now and if you're only speaking in churches all your ideas sound brilliant you know but when you're with these atheists and they're and they're countering they're asking good questions right back at you uh, you know i quickly discover some of my some of my answers um are, are a little more solid than others and so it helps me and uh, gives me some Hopefully, some um, helps me to become a better thinker. And sometimes I just have to say, "Boy, that's a great question, and I don't have an answer to it." But let me see what I can do. And next time we get together, maybe I can get you a, a decent answer to that. But you've asked an excellent question, and some of them are pretty good questions. No, when I I when I get on and I interact, I'll tell you. At first, it made me realize how much I did not know. I was I I still don't feel completely prepared to answer some of these atheistic, I call them atheistic because I can't tell how atheist they are sometimes, but they're not Christians and they're dis they're coming at spiritual things using the Bible against everybody. That's what's yeah. a little bit disturbing. And then 
and then I realized, okay, I need to be paying attention. So I've got your website up, atheistchristianbookclub.com. And I will put this in the show notes, everybody. I, I think by paying attention to what you're tapping into there and other things, but especially this kind of thinking, I think it can equip Christians fairly quickly not to have a bunch of knowledge, but to actually go, I have a lot of confidence in what I believe. One of the I things don't that have we, a bunch noticed, of answers. Yeah, one thing you notice on the Zoom. answers for what atheists believe, I, but it does help me in what I believe. Say that again. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say, one of the things that we've noticed on the Zoom, uh, we used to do this only in person at our office, and so it was limited just to North Texas, but we've switched over to mostly Zoom now. Uh, and one of the things I've noticed is a lot of people, uh, Christians and uh, atheists, will um, they'll, they'll kind of lurk. You know, I've had people even in my church, oh, I'd love to know what goes on. I said, well, come to, oh, I'm not ready to come actually be there. And I said, well, you don't have to turn your camera on. Just come in and watch and listen. You don't have to say anything. But if you want to say something, and, and, and Alan, we usually have the author with us. We've had Gary Habermas, probably the... Uh, preeminent uh, expert on the resurrection in the Christian world alive today right now. He's been one of our guest authors. And so he's there for you to ask questions. And then the next month we might have, we've had, let's see, um, the author of the book, A Universe from Nothing, Lawrence Krauss, New York Times bestselling atheist author, cosmologist. In the book club, you have a question ask the atheist. And then next month you get to ask the Christian the question or make a comment if you want to. So it's a way of exposing. It makes me, I know that I may not be in, involved in direct ministry with atheists every day of the month, but I know there's going to be one day when I'm going to have two hours uh, to be able to have uh, not just good dialogue, it's respectful. And uh, I've, I've made some good friends. The co-founder of the club is a former Christian, now atheist, and uh, Bill, Bill Cluck. And uh, we're going to be here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area next next month, the first Sunday of March. Uh, we're going to be at Pleasant View Baptist. You probably know that church here in Arlington. And we're going to be, uh, I'm going to be preaching that morning on the question, is there a God? What does the Bible say? But then that evening, uh, Bill is going to come back and we're going to have an atheist Christian in dialogue answering that question, is there a God? Wow, that's great. And taking questions. Okay, I want to ask you this, and I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this. Is there a dark place in all of this for Christians? I mean, you go and you start dialoguing and you go, I don't know the answer. And it makes me feel like I'm in a dark place of faith. Does that happen? It, it can, and we, we, we do have to watch that kind of thing. Uh, what, what you want to do is... Um, I think the bigger danger is trying to make up an answer when you don't have an answer. And so uh, what what I have seen, and I think it's a natural reaction. I've seen this from both atheists and Christians will do this. <laughs> Somebody asks a tough question. And first of all, you want to ignore that question because you don't know the answer. You change the subject real fast. Maybe they won't notice you just change the subject. Or heaven forbid, make up an answer. That's the worst thing you can do. Don't make up an answer. What my strategy is, acknowledge. That is not a bad question. That is a great question. I don't have a, the best answer, I feel, right now for that question. Can you give me a little bit of time to do a little more research? I don't want to answer off the cuff. It's just too good of a question. 
And next time we get together, we can readdress this. This gives you time, Alan, a strategy where you can make some phone calls or Google this or go do some research, um, ask for advice, uh, and then you know bring up an alternative. And if you keep, if you do that long enough, and I still, every other month or so, I'll still get a question. I hadn't even thought of that one before. That's a new one. But I, I get a lot less new ones now than I did five or six years ago. It's mostly these are, oh, you know, uh, yeah, about a year and a half ago, we had a whole book club about this issue. Yeah, we I remember now how we discussed that and what issues that we brought up and, and talked about and all. So the, the thing that'll come up almost two or three times a year in the book club is going to be the number one problem uh, uh, that, that Christianity deals with uh, from the atheist perspective, and that's going to be the problem of evil. If God is all-powerful and if God is good, then why do bad things happen? I and hear that a lot. A lot of it, uh, it is the number one. I, 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 if, you, if you ask me what is the number one most difficult question, and, and uh, some of it you can have some of the evil, you can have very good, easy answers to. Well, the fall can, can account for a lot of the evil. You know, humans are, are fallen. You know, why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? One of the answers is there are no good people. That's one of the, that's one of the, right. the answers to that question. But it doesn't really answer all the evil. It doesn't address animal suffering. It doesn't address things that come up that, to me, I would have never really considered, except I have atheists sitting on both sides of me who say, what about this and what about this? And they have, it's a, they ask good questions. And so that, that is now. On the whole issue of the problem of evil, uh, you know, I've not resolved that. Uh, I'd love to say, yes, I've discovered the answer to the problem of evil. I'm going to win a Nobel Prize because I've finally discovered the answer. But the uh, the real issue is um, no one knows the answer because we don't have the mind of God. But for me, a clue is I have been able to address to my own satisfaction, at least, what I would consider is the greatest evil of all the evil out there. And there's so many different kinds of evil. If Christianity is true, the biggest evil probably would be the crucifixion. The only truly innocent one, Jesus himself, who was crucified and died and, and even his own disciples, why did this happen? And they were distraught and, and it was the end of all their hopes. And why did God, if God is great and all powerful, why did he let his own son die on the cross? But you're going to ask that Friday, and they did, and they asked it Saturday. You, you got to wait for Sunday morning, and if you can wait till Sunday morning in the resurrection, it begins to resolve that issue because you have not only the resurrection but the realization that that crucifixion, the greatest evil, might have also been the greatest blessing. Do I really want God to turn back the clock and not allow Jesus to be crucified? My salvation and the salvation of millions of others hinge on that. So there really is, in this case, a greater good. And the greater good is the salvation of millions of people. So it doesn't address all the evil that's out there. But for me, it gives a plausible, um, they, they would call this a theodicy. And, and when you try to answer the question, why is there evil? It's a plausible, possible theodicy or answer to what I consider might have been the greatest evil event in history. I love that explanation. I've never heard that before, where you take a beeline to the cross. Amen. <laughs> 
um, the guys in social media, what they will do is they will say they they go with the gotcha. But what they they won't do is let you use a broader, more um, wise hermeneutic. In other words, they'll say, does God know everything? The Bible says God knows everything. They'll put the verse up. God knows everything. And they'll say, well, if God knows everything, why do you allow evil? And if, and if he knows everything and he allowed evil, doesn't that make him the author of evil? Well, they've got an agenda to gotcha questions. Um, right. And what's really frustrating is uh, some Christians don't know how to answer that or Christians who don't know the word, you know, just because God knows of something doesn't make him the author of something. Um, and we all, I guess we could probably assume we know that, but younger Christians and newer Christians, they don't know how to think theologically. Um, uh, maybe not that they don't know how to do it. Maybe they're not in the right spaces to do it. I think that culture has shifted. I became a Christian in 1988, and I think I was in the last generation or so that had home field advantage. Now, I don't think we have home field advantage. I want to say Billy Graham was the first one to start using that phrase. Let me ask you this. What are you seeing when you look out in culture, and culture is specifically Christian culture and church culture. And you would, you say, okay, this is what I'm seeing. And I wish the church or churches, churches would make shifts and, and, and do these things to equip Christians for what, where we are now and for what is coming in the future. And while you're thinking of that, the reason why I ask, because oftentimes you know, Campus Crusade for Christ, Young Life, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, uh, Navigators, these parachurch ministries, sometimes rightfully so, I'm a big crew guy, uh, uh, they're rightfully so, they've gone out and made disciples and strategies because the local church was slow to come to the table to do it. We're not trying to beat up on churches, but what ships would you say ought to be made you're kind of you're a parachurch guy i know you're a local church guy but i'm saying you've got an angle that's unique what should we be doing these days that you say i wish churches would do this yeah they're they're you know what what our ministry is all about is is apologetics uh, defending the faith um you know our our particular niche is we defend the faith in the area of interfaith evangelism so Basically, uh, how do we defend the faith in light of other religions, or in the case of atheism, non-religion? So, how do we address that particular particular issue? So, I think you know one of the things that are, that we're losing the battle on is with our students and uh, high school kids and uh, early college college kids as well. Students is that um, we we think that by um, putting the putting our, our our kids in a bubble and isolating them from that that cultural impact that that's going to help them to be able to weather the storm so to speak and just you know with social media you, you mentioned tiktok and stuff like this it's just the at the average high school student is just bombarded with this stuff and so hoping that they don't get exposed to an atheist who's going to ask that particular question i would rather see them hear that question from an atheist with me sitting next to them so that we could unpack what we just heard. 
And so one of the things that one of our guys, uh, Brady Belevins, mm. is working on right now, and we we got had this all ready to go, but we've uh, had to postpone it. We haven't gotten it back on track since COVID. Is uh, Brady's putting together a program um, that will take high school students, juniors and seniors primarily, uh, and take them um, on a uh, visit to an actual university where you're going to spend three or four days. We've had this lined up to do at UTA before before COVID hit. So um, to be able to to actually live in the dorms for three days, be connected not just with with um, a Baptist student ministry there on campus with uh, Chi Alpha, with perhaps uh, Ratio Christi, some other great Christian organizations on campus, but also bring in the um, uh, the, the um, uh, student uh, student secular club. Uh, we want to bring in representatives from the Muslim Student Association. We want to bring in uh, a, a the uh, um, people from the the Mormon. Uh, Institute, the LDS Institute, and bring them in and let them hear what they're going to be exposed to. Now, and again, some I know I can hear parents right now. We don't want them to hear that. They're going to hear it. That's I want right. them to hear it in a, in a in a controlled environment where we can unpack and we can deconstruct what they've been saying. And uh, so, uh, you, you that could even be expanded to a, a crash course uh we we haven't done haven't planned this but we you could add on um what every a survival course for university in the area of world religions cults what you need to know about atheism what you need to know about dating gender uh what you need to know about liberalism what you need what you're going to be exposed to on the university campus let's get ready for that rather than finding out after they're there by themselves that they have been that their faith has been deconstructed wow i like that so you're saying one of the shifts that you would uh like to see happen is that we equip 11th and 12th graders and have conversations alongside them about the things they're going to eventually hear anyway do you right. think do you think we in the church do a good job of having those conversations or are we too know. busy? Or are we too busy preaching? And and listen, I don't mean I. You you know I love preaching. I love the talk of topic of preaching. But part of me goes, what shifts do we need to make? Because something's something's wrong, and we definitely don't want to miss where we need to have conversations at times on the altar of I've got to get through my six week series. Yeah, yeah, it's. You know, we we don't want to be, you know, the Christians that are answering all the questions people aren't asking. You know, so I so we're that. addressing yeah. questions that are that are not even relevant to what's happening in the culture right now. So uh, uh, st this is why, even in our day, Alan, you know this. Um, apologetics was the um, uh, it was disdained in a lot of circles in Christianity. And so the, the idea was, oh, well, we just need to preach the gospel and uh, be great neighbors. If we're a better neighbor, we can out-neighbor the other religions and faiths and just be better people than them, and it's going to attract people to us. And so it, it was, man, it was for years. Uh, when I was When I was in college, it was apologetics just wasn't there. I mean, it might be in the catalog at the Bible college or seminary, 
they may even teach a course occasionally. Um, but it, it was it thought a hard times. This today today is the golden age of apologetics. Virtually all the seminaries out there, the evangelical seminaries, have graduate degrees, not courses, whole degrees, PhDs in apologetics, cultural apologetics, interfaith apologetics. Um, uh, and you, you can get you, your dissertations in that. So all this, I'm not, at least five of the six Southern Baptist seminaries will have gra graduate degrees. Maybe, I think all six of them probably, I know of five of them that do. And then you have um, Southern Evangelical, Biola. You, it, it is just a embarrassment of riches out there right now. So we have all these now academically trained apologists coming up with niche specialties in different areas. And they're graduating and they're getting out in the world in ministry. And so the younger Christians are gravitating to this. In my day, people didn't care about knowing about these things. It, uh, a lot of people my age, they think Christianity means reaching people that believe the same way they do. And that's not evangelism. That's what we call fellowship. Evangelism is reaching people who don't believe the same way we do. And so, but the younger Christians today, they eat this up. They live in they they live and breathe this this whole area of apologetics because that's where their culture is. Yeah, that's a good word. We've moved, would you say it's safe to say that we have moved into an evangelistic evangelism? What's the right way to say it? The need to equip evangelism with apologetics is upon us. Yeah, and, and I would mix discipleship in there. I think, um, and this was an encouragement to me. We had a contract for a couple of years Um six or five or six years ago with the the Baptist, southern baptist in new mexico the 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 baptist convention of yeah convention i remember that new mexico you were there as part of that yeah. when you were you mike were in, uh, uh, yeah with mike mike was the headed that up and um so it was um so with our contract we did a lot of the um, pr pretty much all of the apologetics for a couple of years in this whole state of new mexico for the con state convention and uh, so I got to be on a lot of the, the, the university campuses. And what I saw was very encouraging because in the, what do they, what do they call the, um, the campus groups there in New Mexico for the Baptist? Is it um, uh, Christian Challenge? It, yeah, Christian Challenge. That's it, Christian. Man, they all were like marrying discipleship and evangelism with a component of apologetics in everything they do. So like, and I've seen this here at the campus of UTA also with the Baptist student ministry there. I'm sure it's other places too. Uh, so what they're doing is I would come in and teach on, on Islam or teach on Mormonism or something like that. And it was like, okay, well, as soon as you're through James, we're getting, we're having lunch. And as soon as we're through with lunch, we break up and go out in the campuses and we, come across Muslims on campus. We come across Mormons on campus. We come across atheists on campus. What you just talked to us about, we're going to be using that now. It's not a theory. One day we might come. No, no. We're As soon as you get through talking and we say amen to the, the food and leave, we're actually going out and doing two by two, and we're getting in gospel conversations with people, and they report back on it and stuff. So it, I like that because it's not just theoretical. You're actually doing it. And it gives you, uh, again, it motivates you to have answers. So you come across 
people, you come across questions you would never come across like that. You have a motivation and reason to learn the answer. And over time, you get better and better on being able to address the questions that people are really asking. Man, that's good stuff. I appreciate that. Well, look, man, I'm going to close the podcast off. I'm sitting here thinking of more questions I can ask, but I need to I need to uh, keep time here. I want to thank you for coming on the uh, podcast. Appreciate it. You're going to have to come back on because I'm going to have to write some other questions about next steps. But just want to encourage people to get equipped, to defend the faith. But also, I'm sitting here thinking about there comes a time when you got to stop defending the faith. And for me, I had to recently just go stop trying to interact with these conversations and enjoy the faith also. Uh, because defending the faith can be very taxing. It, I, your ministry is not an easy ministry. Um, we greatly appreciate you. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Any final words of encouragement or anything? Yeah, I would just say that one of the things that come across that, yeah, it's challenging and it's really hard when you're first getting started. But after a while, um, you really become friends with these people. And so even though they're on the other side of the of the fence on this, they realize just like I do that is there a God that's the most important question that we'll ever address in our lives. And they want to get serious about it. And it's not a chore anymore. I used to say, like at our book club, that we are that we uh have friendly conversations. And a couple of the atheists said, James, stop saying that. We're not having friendly conversations. We are friends. I said, oh, that's enough great. said. I, I agree. I love that. That's a good word. That's a good word. Well, James Walker from Watchman Fellowship, watchman.org. If you're listening, you're going, I would love to have our church hot on these things and other things. If you have any interest at all, you should hit up James. He is a brother beloved. His team is excellent. They come and they bring resources. Uh, they don't rip you off at the church. You know, it's just totally an, a, a, a love fest. I thoroughly was blessed every time I've used uh, Watchman Fellowship. So I'll put the website watchman.org in the show notes. And then there's atheistchristianbookclub.com. I'll put that in there also. And then um, I'm going to put in the link. Is it www.watchman.org backslash Zoom, James? Is that still a yeah, thing? Yeah, you can, you, can, you can actually enter the Zoom when it's actually happening. Just, it just put, jumps you right in the waiting room, watchman.org slash Zoom. And we always redirect that to the current current link. We will put that in the show notes. We recommend that to everybody. We live in a day where Christ's return is imminent and we want to be ready. And so thank you guys for your support of the Stoke It Up podcast. Share this content wherever you can. We are a part of the Calvary Global Network media family. And so go onto that social handle and check out other podcasts. Thank you for tuning in. We love you guys. Thanks for stoking us up and we'll keep doing the same we'll see you next week on the stoke it up podcast god bless everybody